2: Hey, it's Conrad Thompson, and you're listening to Something to Wrestle With, Bruce Prichard. Uh And with me today, of course, is the master of ceremonies, Mr. Bruce Pritchard. What's going on, man? Well, I'm the guy with.
3: Yeah, let's yeah, that's me.
2: Hey, good to be here, man. Let's get right into it, man. I'm excited about it. WrestleMania 7. I didn't think this one was going to win, but I got to admit, I'm kind of glad
3: it did. Well, it took us long enough to get through WrestleMania seven, just to kind of refresh our memories and watch it all over again. But it was a lot of fun and, uh, let's get to it, man.
2: We hope you have as much fun as we did. It's maybe our longest show ever. It's not my favorite WrestleMania, but it is one of the more controversial WrestleMania's what happened when WrestleMania seven went down. Uh, if you're tuning into the show to hear what type of BS answer Bruce is going to give about the move from the Coliseum to the arena go ahead and skip to the end of the show. We're saving the best for last. That's our dessert. That's what we're going to gnaw on last and we'll cover Iraq last. We're going to kind of go through the card and everything that's happening in the WWF first, Uh, but let's talk about it. It's WrestleMania seven, March 24th, 1991. We're in Los Angeles. It's WrestleMania seven lots going on in the world, the Gulf war. We're obviously going to get to that later too. Let's get into the matches. This is an astonishingly long show, uh, more than three and a half hours, Of course, this year, WrestleMania was a day and a half. It felt like Um, the only dark match is Coco Beware and Brooklyn Brawler. Then we get into the televised show. But before we do that, we got to mention this. Um, I I, I probably would have forgotten this had we not sat down and watched a few minutes of it. Willie Nelson does the national anthem and he comes out.
3: America, the
2: beautiful, my apologies. And he comes out decked out in all kinds of gear. He's got his WrestleMania sweatshirt on. He's got a Hulk Hogan bandana on. He's got Bret Hart shades on. He's got a little replica belt on. Uh, he's all decked out. There's gotta be a fun back in the day around this time. You were known to have a good time. You you had to have a good time with Willie Nelson there.
3: You ever hear the Toby Keith song? I'll never smoke weed with Willie again. Um, no, and I don't know that I want to. Well, it's a great song. And for those of you that know the lyrics to that song, I can empathize with Toby Keith. Let's just keep it to that. And the 10th floor of the Hilton in, uh, Los Angeles was a hell of a night, hell of a party with Willie. Willie's a lot of fun. So, uh, after that, we
2: get right into it. And, um, the first match is the rockers and, they're going to wrestle Bob, uh, barbarian and Haku. It goes about 10 minutes. Uh, this is the last WrestleMania for the rockers. Uh, their first WrestleMania was at five. Uh, obviously this is it after this WrestleMania eight would feature a singles match with Shawn Michaels. Uh, this is on the heels of the Chuck Austin injury, uh, the enhancement talent where he had his neck broken, uh, with a rocker dropper. Is there any sort of heat on the boys for that
3: at this time or no? No, I mean, it, you know, that was an unfortunate accident and accidents happen sometimes. It sucks, but no, there was no heat. The next match uh, on the card is the Texas tornado
2: and Dino Bravo. Uh, the Texas tornado, as you remember, is actually Kerry Von Erich, but they bill him as Texas tornado. I'm curious. Uh, he's one at one point, one of the biggest stars in wrestling. Why don't you go with the Kerry Von Erich billing? You, you still refer to him as that occasionally, but the name on the screen, the graphic, uh, the way he's billed is
3: the Texas Tornado. Is that just because Vince wanted to own it? Yeah. Okay. Pretty simple. I mean, Vince, Vince saw him and it was a name that he and Kerry came up with and it's a name that he could market and own. So it's a lot easier to go out and market something that you own versus marketing something that, that somebody else owns or that someone else created. So let me ask, um, you know, is it just
2: random and arbitrary when, when Ric Flair comes over, he's not billed as the nature boy. He's just billed as Ric Flair. So what's the rhyme or reason that goes into a decision like, okay, we're going to call him Ric Flair, but this guy, he needs a little something extra.
3: They we're call gonna... him the nature boy Ric Flair. They did call Kerry the Texas tornado, Carrie Von Erich. They they refer to him both ways, but he, he was brought in as the Texas tornado. That's the name they wanted to. To brand that, that was what they wanted to call him. So uh, if you're going it, to, it's confusing when you continually refer to someone, well, he's the Texas Attorney. Well, he's Carrie Von Eric. Um, but you create you that own, confusion. Why don't you just you call do, him cre- you do create that confusion by going back and referring to a name that you don't own. So if you want to own a name and establish a name, then you're going to refer to him by that name. You're not going to refer to him as a name that he was known by somewhere else. Where you're not going to reap the rewards from that. After the fact, you'll still own Texas Tornado. You create Texas Tornado. You own that intellectual property. And that's what Vince did. That's what the WWF did with Ric Flair. They broke that rule with a lot of guys. They've broken that rule.
2: Well, that's what I was going to ask is, do you think they still try to adhere to that? Because Kevin Nash comes back as Kevin Nash now.
3: Sometimes they do. But the biggest pop he got is when he came back as diesel in the Royal Rumble.
2: Okay. Okay. I don't want to get hot about it. Let's talk about, uh, Dino Bravo, Dino Bravo. This is last WrestleMania, uh, French Canadian guy, untimely demise, pretty bad situation where he ends his, his time with us here. Uh, the story that has made the rumors and innuendo is that he was executed in his den, had the remote control in his hand and was involved in some sort of underworld dealings with cigarettes. Did you guys have any inclination that Dino Bravo was a connected guy? I don't know that he was a mate guy, but he he had some sort of shenanigans like this in his life? No,
3: absolutely not. Did the company? I have no idea. Uh, You know, Dino wasn't around. You know, after Dino left and Dino, whether he retired or what he did, he wasn't around. So I never had any dealings with him. I didn't have the the concern frankly of, of what the hell dino bravo was doing you at, just didn't have a he you didn't
2: have a relationship with no him. i didn't
3: okay. and, and he wasn't around to to have that relationship
2: is he the only guy you can think of that had maybe
3: a mob related
2: execution in wrestling
3: an alleged mob yeah. execution in wrestling. No. yeah
2: there's been more
3: allegedly where the guys were shot in the back of the head allegedly give me another one well there's a story that uh, has gone around about Gina Hernandez allegedly okay. ha- having a bullet in his head. Uh, I don't know if that's true or not. I, I know what we were told. Um, what My, his mother was. What his mother was told and what his mother shared with us, which was not that he was shot. That he overdosed. Michael but, Hayes doesn't believe he overdosed, but there were. I don't believe he overdosed either. Okay, but. I do know what the autopsy said. And the autopsy said he had more cocaine in his body than a human could possibly ingest. And... Have you tested that before? Have I? No, but I knew Gino very well. And I knew Gino knew his limits. Yeah. He, he partied, but he also knew his limits. Right. And that just didn't fit the right. ammo, if you will. So, yeah. I mean, you know, that's the only other one that I know of that... But I don't know that that happened. I... I... Like I said, the, the autopsy and the official report was that he OD'd, he being Gino Hernandez.
2: Uh, okay. Well, let's, uh, let's move along to, uh, to the next match. It's the British Bulldog and the Warlord. This is the battle of the full Nelsons.
3: Who booked this shit? (laughs) I was doing TV at the time. Um, yeah, we watched that, didn't we? Yeah, it, was, a it was rough. It was, it was of... brutal.
2: Let's run through this. Texas Tornado, uh, Kerry Von Erick gets three minutes. British Bulldog and Warlord get eight. Uh, the next match is the Nasty Boys. Brian Knobs and Jerry Sags. They take on the Hart Foundation. Have a pretty decent match for what it is. Uh, Twelve minutes here for this one, and there is a title change. Uh, this is Bret Hart's last WrestleMania as a tag guy. Uh, he's going to go into WrestleMania 8 against Roddy Piper and win the Intercontinental title. And, uh, have a good little push for himself and really begins the build to the main, to the main event and to the world titles. Uh, Nightheart of course, would then go on to do lots of other stuff. Um, but I'm sure you've got some fun, nasty boy stories. Rick Flair has a dozen of them. I know you've got to have a good Nasty Boys story you can share with us. I don't know when we'll talk about them again, so this is as good a chance as any.
3: Well, the Nasty Boys were great. They were a lot of fun. They, they were there <laughs> uh, with Willie Nelson uh, back at the hotel getting ready oh, for imagine that. that night. Imagine that. So, yeah, they were wild. They were, they were a little crazy, but uh, they were always good for a good time.
2: Um. You know, we kind of skipped over it a minute ago, but I I wanted to mention to you or ask you uh, when the Rockers were taking on the much bigger tag team of Barbarian and Haku, they make it a point in their promo to say that they are tag team specialists. And then all the way throughout the match, they are constantly referred to as tag team specialists. It feels like this is the common theme whenever it's a smaller tag team taking on a bigger tag team.
3: If it's smaller guys, you just say, well, we're tag team specialists. Well, it, that was, that was the selling point of the rockers. They, they weren't necessarily as big as the other guys and frankly, stole it from the rock and roll express because the rock and roll express were billed as tag team specialists. And I remember. When the rockers came in, they were billed as tag team specialists. So it wasn't just for WrestleMania. It was for their entire, yeah. entire career. And they were a great, great tag team. And so let me ask you, they this were though. specialists.
2: If you're stealing it from, I appreciate that you said you stole it from the Rock and Roll Express. I think a lot of people have thought for a long time that the Rockers were kind of a ripoff of the Rock and Roll Express. But at that time, if you could have them, why wouldn't you just go get them? Why wouldn't you guys have just signed the Rock and Roll Express? Who would you rather have? Fair enough. There you go. Okay. Uh, They defeat the Hart Foundation, the Nasty Boys do rather, and uh, so now... You know, Brett's not obligated to be in this tag team anymore. He goes and does big, great stuff. Did you guys have any real plan for Jim Neidhart or is he kind of, for lack of a better word, just a ship, a lot of sail without Brett?
3: Well, there were, there were plans for both guys and you know, you go back and you look at, was it WrestleMania four or five where we did the battle Royal that Brett won? That was four. Okay. The idea in four. Was to split up the Hart Foundation. Okay, and here we are at okay, seven. And, it's you know, just and, now and here we are. Well, no, we tried it then, and it didn't work, you know, uh, Brad just way over. back then. And, and, well, neither one of them got over on their own. And they got back together, and it just, let's try it again. Talk to me about, um,
2: about Jim Neidhart. Jim Neidhart has uh, not had the best success away from wrestling, but... You know, were there were there any other times in wrestling that you feel like he, you know, really did a good job? I mean, it feels like to me Jim Nighthart's kind of peak of his career is right here, man. It's it's in the Hart Foundation. Even when he's tagging with Owen and he's doing other gimmicks, it just doesn't ever feel like it gets back to this point for him professionally.
3: Some guys are tag team guys, and the the Hart Foundation they were a great tag team. Yeah. and I don't know that Jim on his own was. As attractive as the singles, so it's Brett shined and Brett was able to go out on his own and get a following, and do well. And Jim just needed that crutch, you know. Jim needed somebody. He needed that workhorse in there.
2: Isn't it interesting that uh, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart's career here are really starting to parallel? Sure. With you know, with the, this being their last tag thing together, and then in the next two WrestleManias, they're both on their way to Intercontinental Belts. And then, uh, they're on their way to the world titles in the, in the following years. So lots of parallels. Let's get to uh, match number six. This is something that I was really excited to talk about as a kid. God, I just love this Jake Roberts and Rick Martell. <laughs> and a lot of this happened on the brother love show. And, uh, I just kind of want you to carry us through, you know, how this all came to be. If you remember, he was Rick, the model Martell, he had a cologne he was pushing. And what did you call the contraption that kept that in? The automizer, the automizer, that's what uh, it's called. I, well, I'm just saying, it's not a word that I hear very often. Arrogance. It, it's so. It's a bug spray gimmick that you guys spray paint and put stickers on that says <laughs> arrogance. It's pretty creative. High tech stuff. Uh, who was in? Who was uh, in control of the props at
3: that time? Can you give credit to that to somebody? You know, we didn't really have a prop guy at that time or a magic guy at that time. That was wait,
2: pro- wait, wait. Did you just say magic guy? Yes. So WWE refers to a prop guy as a
3: magic guy. No, the prop guy referred to himself as the magic guy. He was a, he was an absolute genius, Richie Posner, um, and that's what that's what we called his area of magic. Well, well, give me an idea of of some magic he created. That well, you no, just created. every everything that that was out there, any special effects, any any props or anything like so that. So when the he ring just hated he hated the word prop. Okay, he 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 preferred to say he made magic, which he did. And he was, he was a magician, too, by trade, and a great magician.
2: Okay, that explains it. I was going to say, because Kiritop does not refer to himself as a magic comic. He's,
3: He's a, prop a prop comic. Guy. Okay. Yeah. No, no. Richie was actually a magician as well, and he referred to what he did as, as magic. And I get it. He was great at what he did. Well, listen. i call the, it whatever you want me to, as long as it works. Well,
2: there was magic in this angle, so uh, even if he didn't make the automizer, it was still cool. No, I think Creative
3: Services did. Really? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's
2: kind of cool. Rick Martell in these uh, skits on the Brother Love Show is looking damn styling in these suits he's rocking and uh, (laughs) toting around some arrogance, and he sprays it in the eyes of Jake Roberts. Uh, Whose idea was this, and do you remember who would have produced it or put all this together? Does any of that ring a bell?
3: Well, I... I did the arrogance and the model uh, vignettes and stuff. Vince and I did those. I don't remember whose idea it was probably, you know, either Pat or Vince, one of the two, but it was a way to present Martel. Rick was French Canadian, great, great talent, not the best talker in the world. And it was a way to get that French out of him a little bit. And, and, the arrogance, if you will, of how some people looked at the French. And just get a little bit more personality out of Rick. He was great, great in the ring and everything he did. Looked like a million bucks. And another, it's, it's another example of a gimmick that you give a guy and the talent was able to pull it off. He does
2: a phenomenal job here. Uh, one of the better angles, uh, for those of you who don't remember, the arrogance gets sprayed in the eyes of Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, he is blinded on the yeah, set. Yeah, but
3: all that was location because that was all on the Brother Love show. So that's what made it great.
2: Absolutely, it was on Superstars, on the Brother Love show. Uh, it's a it's a, a pretty lengthy angle um, as far as you know shooting stuff because week one is the blinding angle. Week two, we see Jake at the optometrist. Uh, a couple of weeks later, we see him uh, back on the Brother Love show, and this time, you know, being uh, harassed by Rick Martell. And he's just feeling around blindly and gives brother love a DDT. What's, he sure did. What's the, uh, what's the trick to taking a DDT so well? Cause you did a great
3: job on that DDT. You listen to the snake man and take it exactly like he tells you to. It's, it's actually one of the simplest bumps in the world that people complicate and get hurt trying to take it different ways. If you take it like Jake has taught people to take it over the years and you do it correctly, I think it looks great. And looks like a million bucks, and, you know, he'll take care of you every single time. Working with Jake and taking the DDT was a night off. Well, in that angle where he
2: DDTs you, the glasses slip off, and uh, Jake has a contact end to make his eyes look white, and it, or maybe they are white. That arrogance really got in there and took all the pigmentation out of his eye. My apologies. Um, and then if, several weeks later, uh, Jake uh, blindsides uh, the guys in the middle of a match, I believe it's uh, Tito and Martel, And because he's blind, he winds up attacking Tito. <laughs> he's they not couldn't, sure, see. couldn't see where he is. Uh, and then they do a pre-tape with Jake, uh, a backstage interview. And then a huge pop for him. Jake was over like Rover here. And then this summer you guys would turn him heel. Is that because he wanted to work heel? Do you remember? Jake always wanted
3: to work heel. Yeah. He was more comfortable as a heel.
2: Well, I think that summer is probably some of his best stuff, and uh, I look forward to us talking about that on a future episode. But what's interesting about this match is you guys would blindfold these guys by putting bags over their head—black um, bags, not the type that uh, Terry Funk put over Ric Flair's head, a Ziploc bag, but a black bag—and I didn't see it until this week when you and I, you know, were skimming through the show. You guys had cutouts in there with black mesh, you dirty cheaters. They could really see the whole time. I didn't see that. <laughs> <laughs> this is why Meltzer calls you a Slazy man BS
3: artist. Yeah, well, you're the one that co-hosts with me. That's true.
2: So, were you watching on a monitor when this happens? When what happens? When this match takes place, Jake and Rick Martel blindfold match, WrestleMania 7. Yeah, I was a gorilla. When you see Jake stick his hand up inside, actually, the actually, you know what?
3: The first time I ever saw that was with you.
2: Really? Yeah. That's the first time I noticed it too. Yeah. If you go back and you look at this right before the match starts, when the referee is securing the
3: masks, uh, but it was lighting. No, and and, and it wasn't necessary. It wasn't cut out. It was, it was black, uh, like pipe and drape. Yeah, it was like a mesh, which, which you can see through fairly well. It, it's it's like having Dark sunglasses on. That was a piece cut out. And no, if you look at it, it was mesh because it, the problem was he held it up to the light. Okay. And when you had something to look through on the other side, you could see that you could see through it. Wow. Well, it and when the- it's up against skin and when it's up, it's like, you know, it's black. It looks black and you can't tell, but when he held it up to the light, it was like. Oh crap. This, this sounds that like sucks. a
2: terrible match, but man, it's pretty fun.
3: And it gets knocked all the time about oh my god, the blind the blindfold match. I thought they worked it tremendously. I, I would always think, and I haven't watched it in years. Um I would always go, Why are people always knocking it? And then I watched it That's again. Good. I thought it was great. Just the simple psychology of Jake and oh. pointing using the audience to tell them where Martel was. Those two guys did a great job. It was an entertaining story in the ring. And they, you know, if you watch the match, they didn't do a whole lot. No. But everything, every single thing they did meant something. Absolutely. Uh,
2: is it fair to say that Jake would have laid this out?
3: Uh, probably, but I mean, it takes two to tango. No, no, worked I'm pretty, not taking he, like, no, he he probably worked, Yeah, he probably, uh, the two of them probably got together and came up with it.
2: But. We just, we just commonly hear as fans that Jake is a genius. And I don't think that that was ever more evident to me than watching this match. Because like you said, yeah. he knows he's the baby face. He's got the crowd on his side. So whenever he's backed up and supposedly looking for Martell, he just sticks his finger out right. and moves it around. Yeah. And when the crowd cheers, he knows that's that direction. Um, the other, the other thing he did in the, the, the middle of the match was the clap. And so when he clapped, Martell started to come that way. The fans start to clap in. They're clued in. They're tuned in. Right. Man. And so when, when now there's clapping everywhere, Martell can't figure out where he is. So, uh, very, very genius stuff here. Um, the snake is in this match at the end and he does not look happy. And it made me curious. Do you remember any fun snake stories from around this time? Oh
3: yeah. A lot. Can he give me one? Is that possible? <laughs> oh wow! Um, there are all kinds of snake stories. That that snake found its way down people's pants before, and in in the ring, and, and the more that someone knew, the more that Jake or somebody knew, someone was afraid of snakes. Uh, that snake would always find its way into into their presence. Jim Cornette one time jumped over a table when Jake took the snake out at gorilla position one time and tried to get it on Cornette. There was a time in Madison Square Garden where they had George the Animal Steel out with Cornette and Jake, they were going to handcuff Cornette. Now, Cornette didn't know this. Oh. And they were going to handcuff Cornette to the bottom rope and put the snake on him. What would he have been
2: saying during this time? Hey, who? What would Jim Cornette have sounded like at that moment?
4: God damn! If I fucking snake on me, I'll kill somebody. I'll cut that son of a bitch up and make boots out of it. I don't even wear boots.
3: But (laughs) (laughs) he goes out and the deal was Jim Myers, George the Animal Steel, was going to get Cornette and handcuff him to the bottom rope because Myers is was a tough guy. He was an amateur wrestler and he's a tough dude. And
1: what companies would you want to work for? Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the prestigious Just Capital 2024 seal. Bank of America is ranked number 1 in the banking industry and number 1 for their ongoing commitment to workers offering best-in-class benefits, including a minimum wage of $25 an hour by 2025. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital. Just Capital is a nonprofit that tracks which companies are a force for good. Companies like Bank of America, which just earned the Just Capital seal, Bank of America is ranked number one for ongoing commitment to their workers with initiatives like Sharing Success, which awarded 97% of their teammates additional compensation, nearly all in stock. This is the program's seventh consecutive year awarding more than $4.8 billion in total. Visit JustCapital.com to learn how a just business is a better business. Furnished by Just Capital.
3: Myers gets Cornette, gets the handcuffs on him, handcuffs him to the bottom rope Will they go to get the snake and go to get it on Cornet and milk it for the crowd, knowing this whole time that cornette has got nowhere to go. He's handcuffed. Well before you know it, Cornette is escaped and is running down the aisle and gets to the back. And we're standing there going, What happened?
4: Well how how the hell did he slip out of the cuffs? What 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 happened? I come back, I said, like, Corny, what, how can you, what I can't ever slip like, I said, what happened? He goes, I got a, I got a, uh, a handcuff key. He had a handcuff key in his pants and carry. I always carry a handcuff key. Like who the hell carries a handcuff key when they're going to the ring to have a match? Who who well, thinks in their mind, well,
3: I don't know. Maybe somebody's going to handcuff me tonight as a rib and put a <laughs> snake on me.
4: You never know what's going to happen. I always have a handcuff key in case like a cop try and get me. I'll escape. Uh,
2: we were. In case the cops try to get me, I will escape.
4: What? I got, I got a key.
2: Hang on now. Hypothetically. Do you know of Jim Cornette being arrested before? Oh, yeah. Oh, see, I was going to say, I don't see Cornette getting arrested. I see Cornette maybe having the key for other reasons.
3: No comment. But, <laughs> <laughs> but it was, it was the craziest thing. And when you hear that explanation, it's kind of like, well, okay. You know, props. He got away. <laughs> you know, um, ha failed.
2: Do you think he still carries a handcuff here? I wouldn't doubt it. I wouldn't put it past him. That is phenomenal. That's way better of a snake story. Than remind,
3: remind me to, to tell you the, uh, the Jim Ross car story one day. And, and that, now that was a rib. That was a horrible rib, but it was a rib. Um, and we'll tell that one day. Okay. So put that in your, put that in your bank.
2: Tweet us about that one. Now uh, let's get to the next match here. I will not address it on Twitter. WrestleMania 7, and now this is the seventh match of the night. The sixth televised match is The Undertaker with Paul Bear taking on Jimmy Superfly Snooka. This is Snooka's last WrestleMania. Is this kind of the end of an era here? Because for a long time, Snooka was the most over babyface there was, Uh, and then eventually second only to Hogan. And now he's on his way out, and... I don't know. It Just kind of feels like the end of an era for the WWF. Would you agree with that?
3: Yeah, Father Time. How appropriate to you know Wow, for it to be the Undertaker to was that was that to a, be the one? Did
2: You just freestyle that right there, or was that <laughs> was that really the the story? If you let's say it's go, really the story, it. I'll give you like so many props <laughs> if that was really the plan. Okay, so this is,
3: we knew Jimmy was was you know that would probably be Jimmy's. It, it wasn't. Um, but we figured that was Jimmy's last at the time. Uh,
2: when you say last, you meant pay-per-view or big show, well, no big show. And yeah, uh, he did do other pay-per-views after this, but nothing, sure. nothing like WrestleMania. Um, how was Jimmy to deal with here? Jimmy had, had a little bit of a reputation for being, um, uh, I don't know, erratic. I, I don't know the right word I'm trying to use here. He had some challenges. He had some demons. He had some issues here he's easy it's just it's just longevity father time that's pretty much it okay so the undertaker his very first
3: wrestlemania the beginning of the streak well you know i we had this idea we said what if we can have a dead man and every time he wrestles at wrestlemania he he never loses and if we can only get like 25 years out of it
2: it'll be great well you almost made it man 21
3: and one. Yeah. But it was still 25 years, 24 years, whatever. Yeah. That's no, a long time. The, this, for those, should I go ahead and just nip that in the bud? The streak wasn't planned folks. It was just one of those things that organically happened. And then later years when we realized this son bitch has a streak. Um, cool. <laughs> well, and he starts it with a bang because snooker was a
2: really, really big deal for a long time. And, um, Later this year, he would become WWF champion and little kids were scared at this time of him. And, and he debuts right here so. at WrestleMania. That's uh, not his debut, but it's his WrestleMania debut with a much thinned down Paul Bear from the one we're used to. You, uh, you were pretty good friends with Paul. Do you have any good Paul Bear stories? I don't know when we'll talk
3: about him. Yeah, uh, None. I can tell on in mixed company. How excited was he to be a part of
2: WrestleMania? He'd been in
3: the wrestling you know, business for a long time. Percy's one of those guys that it's nice when one of the nice guys wins. Right. And he loved the business. He gave his life to the business. All he wanted to do was work and be a part. And so it's great when someone like that gets an opportunity like Percy got in a character that will last in the hearts and minds of people forever. So, um... It's just cool. It's cool. Everybody, I, you'd be hard pressed to find somebody they are out there, but you'd be hard pressed to find somebody that didn't like Bill Moody. Bill Moody is Paul Bear's real name.
2: Another Alabama fellow.
3: So roll tight on that. Roll tight.
2: Um, so let's go ahead and let's get to, um, you know what, before we do, you see, I know you said the streak wasn't planned. When do you remember that being a topic of conversation? Can you ballpark what year that would have been? This is ninety one, so would it have been a topic by let's call it when he beat Sid for the belt at ninety seven? Would that have even been a topic six years in, or is it much past
3: that? No, probably even past that ballpark. No. an idea? I don't even know. Um, I couldn't. I couldn't pinpoint. You know, I'm terrible with dates. Oh yeah. Uh, I mean, you don't remember shit. Everybody who listens to this show knows that. Yeah. I'm just horrible. I'm a loser. Um, Meltzer's not here. Calm down.
2: Bite me. Um, all right. While you think about that, let's I don't get, know. let's yeah. get to uh match number eight. This is the seventh televised match though. The ultimate warrior and Randy macho man, Savage. Hey, bl- finally, we're getting into something good. What? We just did the blindfold match at the beginning of the streak. And okay. the tag team title change and Kerry Von Erich. All right. Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart. Uh so let's the two co- match card. Well, that's rude comment. Um <laughs> I noticed here that you know, and, and later we're we revealed who it is. Two empty seats at ringside for this entire card until right here at this match. Would that ever happen now? I mean God no. I mean right dead center. Are two empty seats the entire night, and then for this match,
3: yeah. And you know what? It wouldn't happen now for several reasons. (laughs) They they put audience members that actually want to be there, and no, not those guys didn't want to be there. But they're you know people buy those seats and they spend a lot of money. They put the celebrities on the hard cam side, sure, because you know they're they're not may not necessarily be there to watch the show, and the the audience member that is there that buys those seats and pays their good money, they're not leaving those seats during the event. Would this have
2: been something that irked Vince back then, or was his attention to detail in other
3: areas? No, it definitely irked him. He hated seeing empty seats anywhere, much less in the front row right opposite hard cameras. Right. Um, Now they deal with it a lot differently. They have seat fillers that if there's empty seats that are in the hard camera sections, they'll go and put people in them until the people come back with their drinks or if they're going to the bathroom or what have you. Uh, the folks in the seats are, uh,
2: Donald Trump and guest. We'll, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Uh, let's get back to the ultimate warrior though. You guys did a really great job building this up here. Uh, if you think back to kind of how this all started, uh, macho man attacks the ultimate warrior on main event. And then Sherry appears at the Royal rumble during an interview segment with the warrior and begs for a title shot for macho man. Uh, later in the night, she distracts the macho man. Uh, or she distracts the warrior and Macho Man sneak attacks him during his match with Sergeant Slaughter. Uh, A few minutes later, uh, back when they're, you know, back ringside, Macho Man really lays it in with a scepter shot on the head of the warrior, allowing Slaughter to get the pin and become the world champion. And so they start to promote this as the first time ever uh, for a career-ending match in the WWF. Do you remember a career match prior to this in the WWF, or is this just the first big time one on
3: pay-per-view? Not that I remember. It was, it was the first, first one on big time pay-per-view. That's for sure. So who, who pitches this idea? Do you remember? Well, Randy was, you know, looking to take some time off. He had ju- He's
2: fresh on a broken thumb here. I don't know if you remember that, but he had just broken his thumb. He's got two pins in there.
3: Um, I don't, yeah, I I don't recall that, but Randy was, was definitely looking for some time off and to take a break and he'd been running hard. And so when you say take
2: a break, he just wanted to come off the road for a little bit and be a spokesman for the company. He wanted to do commentary or do you
3: remember what the real plan was at this time? I think at the time it was to be a spokesman, but actually at the time was for him to take some time off and get away from the business for a little while and then come back and be a spokesman. And then, you know, I, I don't know that it was ever necessarily one of the things I hate about stipulations like this is I don't think that it was ever really the intention that Randy was going to retire and be gone forever there was always a thought that well he'll be back yeah Meltzer uh, I know you
2: love this but Jesus he suggested that you know maybe one of the ideas would be there would be like a letter writing campaign to get Macho Man reinstated and you guys would request you know if you'd like him to be reinstated Send your, you know, note to blah 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 as a way to capture addresses for mailing addresses, so you guys could send them catalogs and stuff and market stuff. And he certainly did something like that uh, the year before with the tugboat Hulk Hogan situation. Yeah, definitely, we did do that. Whose idea was that?
3: Because that's what? that's pretty genius. Well, I would imagine probably Vince's. I don't know. That's that's a really really great idea. Bob Collins, Vince. I don't know.
2: Okay, so uh, let's get into the match. Sherry and Macho Man are carried out on Thrones for this. It's a pretty cool spectacle. Any memories uh, of that idea or maybe funny stories of carrying them around? Maybe mishaps or guys who went on to be something like Cena was with Punk at that one WrestleMania or DDP was for the Honky Tonk Man.
3: I don't think any of the guys that carried Randy out that night went on to any kind of stardom, but it was... You know, the, the sedan, as we called it, the sedan, yes, it was a sedan and, um, it looked heavy. It was, it was heavy without anybody on it. Yeah. And then you had two human bodies on it and it, it got a uh, little tricky sometimes. And those guys were always afraid for their life that they may dump Randall or Sherry somewhere. And Randall. Randall. Randall babies. Uh, warrior
2: trunks have been a topic of debate here uh, for a long time amongst us fans. The rumors and innuendo uh, on the back of his trunks that night were the world wrestling federation heavyweight title. And the words means much more than this. And a lot of people said that that was a way of taking a dig at him, either not being in the main event or the title picture or trying to stress that his match was more important
3: dig or no dig. Well, I think it's silly that anyone would even think it's a dig Because you're talking about the context of the match. You're talking about someone's career versus a championship. And giving importance to that match, his career meant more than a championship. Right. So it was just simply in the context of the match, the career and the the warrior and all that to him was much more important than a belt or a championship. That's all it meant.
2: Uh, this is the first time we saw the ultimate warrior wear a duster that I remember uh, and commentary makes a really big deal about his knee pads, having a picture of macho man's face on one and his on the other. Um, is this a little bit of a ripoff of Rick Rude? R- Rude really made this famous having airbrushed gear custom for the match. That's what kind of this felt like to me. Would you disagree?
3: I don't know that. The, yeah, I don't know. I mean, okay, this is fun. Uh, so Sherry was decked well, out. Well, I know I mean, you're asking me. You're asking me, was I in Jim Hellwig's head to know that he was going to get back at Rick Rude and go to an airbrush? I never said. I never said it
2: was getting back at. Yeah, I wanted to know if the boys thought, oh, he's doing the Rude gimmick. It was kind of his gimmick at the time. Was he there?
3: Yeah. Was he there? Fuck this. Was uh, he so, there? No, he had gone, no. so it wasn't his gimmick there anymore. So. He okay. wasn't there for anybody to compare to. And you know, Rob Van Dam did it. So was Rob Van Dam a rip off rip off of Rick Rude?
2: Yes. Okay. Glad we had this talk. Um he didn't Rob Van Dam didn't wear his opponent's stuff and make match specific stuff. Okay. All right. Never mind. This isn't so much fun sometimes. Sherry was decked out this night feel and, my uh, pain. I always thought she never got her just due. Uh What can you, as somebody who was there,
3: testify that Sherry really meant to the matches? Oh, Sherry was great. The boys, if you ask any of the boys who they'd rather work with, all of them would rather work with Sherry Martell. She was...
2: Rather than?
3: Rather than anybody. Okay. (laughs) You know, you can have a match with Sherry. She'd sell and make you sell and it'd be believable. But Sherry was a huge integral part of the, the Macho King and the Queen sensational Queen Sherry. She just was great at everything she did. She added to that package. She reacted to every little thing and accented the match and didn't steal from it. Uh
2: these guys would wrestle the next year at SummerSlam and uh looking back at this match, I still think this particular match is the best match of the Ultimate Warrior's career. Would you agree with that? Probably so. Probably the best match Warrior ever had. So I want to kind of talk about some of the match. Um, Cool spot here. Randy does a crossbody. Warrior catches him, but stands him up and then slaps him. Uh, It really added to the story that, you know, Warrior's the bigger, stronger guy. And around this time, Gorilla starts really reiterating, this is the largest pay-per-view audience in the history of pay-per-view. There's no way he would have known that at that point, right? This is just a line from Vince.
3: I'm sorry. You're asking me to tell you what line Vince gave? No. You know what that was in reference to was we were broadcasting that to the troops oh, all over the world. So the audience was the largest audience because of the, the number of troops and where we were broadcasting. We broadcasted it for, for free on the uh, armed forces radio or, yeah. or you know whatever yeah, yeah, yeah. we broadcast it live all over the world and so the audience was huge um as far as pay-per-view buys no at that time we're, it was wrestlemania 5 we're never
2: getting away from the way you split hairs here just so you know well, no, the audience uh, was I'm, the largest. I get that it was because we were broadcasting. What we, does it sound like we're talking about right now, though? It sounds
3: just like attendance and tickets No, it's sold. it's that's what you choose to pull out of it. He said it was the largest pay per view audience, and you're saying, "Well, it wasn't well, pay per view?" Didn't on, say pay per view buys. So it was the largest pay per view. How audience, is a pay-per-view it pay per view if no one's paying? Because that's what we refer to them as. So that's how I, we referred to that's how we refer to the events. It's a pay per view event. So because it's a pay per view event. should have have been was, a purview.
2: It was broad. And there's no pay, so
3: he should have just said a lot of
2: people is, did. This is the largest purview audience in the history of purview. But it wasn't. Yeah. Anyway, it was. No, it wasn't. Yes, it was. Uh Sherry's wearing some super revealing stuff here, and I think around this time she started to really push the edge with some of her outfits, you know, thongs and stuff like this. Is it fair to say this is like the precursor for the Attitude Era? There was a series of matches here where She'd be stripped down to bra and panties and stuff like that. And that was kind of pushing the edge here for WWF at the time. Do you remember that being a conscious decision? And who would have been the person who says, "Uh, well, we show a little cheek here, pal.
3: Well, a lot of that usually was Sherry's volunteering it. Um, but I don't think there was necessarily conscious effort to go. Let's do bra and panties. Um, as a matter of fact, it was probably the, the other way kind of shine away from that. Right. Um, But I know Sherry always used to like to do that. And I never liked the, you know, the guys putting their hands on women anyway, in general, that's tough to sell. It's just a tough sell. I don't care where you are and what you're doing. Heel baby face. That was always the excuse. Well, she's a heel. So it's okay to do whatever you want to, too. Whose excuse was that? That's everybody's excuse. It okay. would be the talent's excuse to say, well, she's a heel. You can go ahead and get away with it. And because the audience popped, it's it's okay. She's a heel. It's right. okay. I just I just never liked it, but, you know, sometimes they, they did it. Warrior
2: uh, pushes Sherry here uh, when they're on the outside. Pushes are pretty hard and pushes are down, and it's not even addressed at the time. So they're, what you're saying holds water. Well, what's Is this the first time you remember this many finishing moves being used over and over and over and not finishing? It feels a lot like now. You see guys hit a move a dozen times,
3: and then they still kick out. But back in those days, it, it was, was it was unique because usually when a guy hits his finisher, that's you know, it. that was it, and you work to the finish. And these guys wanted to do something different. And, you know, career match that they wanted to make it special and just be able to, you know, go out and make it different.
2: Uh, it's time for the pin now. And uh, after all these finishing moves, Warrior wins with just a foot on the chest for the pin.
3: Your thoughts? Hated it. Kind I seems- thought it was disrespectful to, to Randy Savage, the performer. I thought it was disrespectful to Randy Savage, the man. I also believe that it was probably Randy Savage's call, knowing Randy and knowing how Randy was a firm believer of win him in the ring, lose him in the ring. You win him one, two, three, you lose him one, two, three, right in the middle. And I could see Randy basically anointing the warrior and saying, you know what? Beat me, stand over me, and be the man. Because Randy knew what was coming afterwards. So it was was simply... um, simply a way to get warrior over
2: as if that's not enough warrior takes a victory lap around to the corners and then again comes back to the center to put a foot on the chest uh this time posing with the duster on it just seems a little disrespectful to not only pin him with one foot but to make a victory lap uh throw your shit on and then do it again
3: well it is to me and i think that the talent at the time I am defending warrior. I think the talent at the time, everybody knew what was going to happen next and felt that Randy was going to have his moment at the end. So get your moment now and then move on. And Randy gets his moment at the end. And it did work. It did. It did work. But as you and I watched it, I even told you that when we were watching it, I thought that was, it it rubbed me wrong. I knew what was going to happen. What, um.
2: I'm curious the thinking that goes into the what happens next. Sherry attacks the macho man after the match. She's upset that he's lost seemingly, you know, because of the impact it'll have on her career. And then of course Liz, who they showed in the crowd, uh a good ways away from the ring, two rows back down uh the aisle. Um she comes to the rescue and throws Sherry out of the ring by her hair and the crowd goes nuts for them to reunite. Women in the crowd are crying everywhere. And then they reunite and he, uh, embraces her, puts her up on the shoulder. And then when it's time for them to leave, he used to make her hold her ups open for him. And this time he opens them real big for her and the replay they show on the pay-per-view isn't of the match at all, but it's of him picking her up. So he started the match as a heel worked as a heel, uh, you know, cheating and chairs and all this stuff. But then Liz come back, comes back to him, so now he's a baby face. Has this ever happened before? It's a pretty interesting dynamic that a guy can you know, start as a heel and work as a heel the entire time, but because a woman likes him, he's a baby face. Well, I mean, goddamn, it really speaks they, to the they, power they of Liz. Were, well, it spoke to the power of the couple. Mm-hmm.
3: It spoke to the, to the package of, of Randy and Elizabeth through the years. That was a unit. That God, you know, I mean, they were iconic, um, huge heels, huge baby faces and Liz was uh, never really a heel. No, but, but she managed Randy as as a heel and as a package, they were heels and it just was, um, you know, come on, man, they they were iconic and, and everyone loved Liz, even as a heel, they loved Liz. And it was a way to bring them back together. And what people don't know is how devoted Randy Savage was to the business and to the angle when he and Liz split on camera. Randy and Liz in real life were married and got a separation, a legal separation. Wow. So that if anybody you know would say, oh, well, they're really married. No, they're not. That was Randy's dedication to his art and everything that he did. And Jesus Christ, why have we got to do this shit? Um, Last week we were talking about Eddie and stuff. And now, and I told you, and I, I, I apologize folks. The visual of of Randy and Liz and Sherry all in the ring together, um, you know, throw Warrior in there and and they're all gone now, uh, was powerful. And it's even more powerful now when you sit there and you watch that and you see them and knowing how much Randy loved Liz and vice versa. That to watch that and you're talking about people crying, man, I, I cried that night. You know, when it happened. It was a work. It was a beautiful story. But it was also those two coming back together and, and and it was a beautiful story. And it was um was what it was, but it worked and onward and upward. What do you think
2: made um Liz so special? There's never really been a character like her since she's quiet, classy,
3: didn't have to say a lot, didn't say a lot, and she was a beautiful woman, but she also was like that uh girl next door, so I think she was really relatable and um, easy to like
2: um this seems like the time when you guys would have taken an intermission. I don't know that it was acknowledged uh, as an intermission. I'm curious. How the hell did WrestleMania used to have an intermission?
3: You know, back in the old days, WrestleMania, uh, one, two, three, you know, they used to take intermissions on pay-per-view even. Yeah. And this was. Back when you thought you have to have an intermission, you know, you got to sell gimmicks. You got to give people a chance to go get popcorn and, and something to drink and go to the bathroom. So it was just a mainstay of, of a live event and a pay-per-view event. Got to give people a chance to go do what they want to do. It was a different time, but what we did for the television audience was we had, uh, interviews and stuff with the celebrities that that filled that time while in the house for the live event it was a an intermission. So uh it was a long show. It also gives the announcement yeah. time to go take a piss and
2: so this uh this intermission period here this is kind of famous uh you know when you did it for house shows and live events because this would be the Hulk Hogan spot a lot of times where you would have a really good match as the last match on the card, but Hogan would work right before the intermission, the rumor being so he could get back to the hotel and do his room service and all that and beat the fans out of the crowd and beat the traffic and not be mobbed and yada, yada, yada.
3: No, folks, it was when you're going to do a return so that you could have whatever you're going to do and you can come back and announce the return off of an angle that you would shoot in that match. And then when he come back for the return, if it was the blow off, it, it would be the last match, but the, no, it wasn't so he could go back and get room service. Well, he, he used to say it is. So well, I'm sure that's anything. what he did, but well, that wasn't why he was put in that spot.
2: So he didn't request to be in that spot. You don't think. He was put,
3: I just explained why he was put in that spot. Okay. When we had a hot match that we were coming, the, the exact same reason why Warrior and Andre the Giant were put on in that spot when they went, when we were going to do the return. They were put in that spot so you could come back later on and announce next time that we are here in the Von Braun Civic Center, it will be one on one, and you announce the return off of the angle you shot earlier in the night. All right. And then they come back. It wasn't so, well, you know what? Room service stops at eight. We need to get those guys out of here so they can get their egg whites.
2: Um, the first match back after intermission has a nickname that I've heard. Can you share that? Popcorn match. Explain to our listeners who may not be
3: familiar why it's the popcorn match. Because people went out to get popcorn and they're coming back from getting their popcorn.
2: What type of match would usually be in the popcorn match position?
3: a slower starting match one that's going to build put a little time in get people back to their seats and the match chosen here is uh well let's talk about
2: intermission first uh, they have the undertaker uh, measuring regis with a tape measure this is pretty fun stuff then there's the demolition promo by this point bill 80 is gone it's just crush and smash here uh, they're really winding things up there wouldn't be uh, much more traction to demolition. This is their last WrestleMania. And then they interview their opponents, which are uh Tenru Tenru and let I say the right? Yep. And uh maybe a little racist here because <laughs> Regis is uh trying to communicate with these guys who don't speak any English, but they they acknowledge Toyota and Isuzu. Could they get away with that now? I doubt it. It's pretty amazing. Um this demolition match seems a little out of place. I mean it's just kinda out of nowhere. Uh how do you guys come to this to be a WrestleMania match? And and Demolition loses. This is the first time I remember seeing a power bomb in the WWF. I'm probably wrong on that, but it's the first time I remember seeing it. Demolition's done in September of this year, I believe. And they lose to Tenrew and Katow in four minutes. Do you remember, you know, the, I know you guys had some sort of SWS working agreement uh, and it feels like WCW at this time is playing follow the leader. They're doing some stuff with new Japan. And a few months after this, you would have a huge show with these guys. Uh, I think Tenryu tagged with Hogan against LOD and you guys had like record ticket prices and made a huge gate in Japan, but I don't really hear about that going on much further.
3: What happened here? well that's simply it we had a working relationship with Tenru Tenru was starting his own company in Japan uh Koji Kitau was a sumo wrestler that had turned pro and they wanted to make him an international star so he is in Japan he's portrayed as so big that he's got this big match with another Japanese superstar Tenru who was a big name in Japan To come over to America and be in WrestleMania. It's just simply a working relationship, put a good light on them, and we were going to Japan. So it was a way to just strengthen that that agreement with them. And it was more that particular segment, that particular match, was more important to Japan than it was per se to the show or really have any meaning in WrestleMania. But internationally in Japan, it, it had a lot of meaning. Uh, before we talk about the
2: Catal situation, why is demolition winding up? Like at one point, Demolition's pretty damn over. Um, what, what what do you think changed when crush was interjected? You it know, wasn't the same or it was just time.
4: Well, it's just time. I okay. mean, it,
3: it, it's like, I love it when people say, well, why'd you, why'd you guys the dream? <laughs> you know, maybe it's just getting hot. And you're going to cut it off, but everything runs its course. You can't have Demolition be the dominant tag team forever. There comes a time that it's, you got to bring something new in. Yeah. it's their time. That hell of a run. It's
2: just their time. Well, it looks like their time is up. We can't see them. Katow's time is now. Uh, Katow, famous maybe, I don't know when we'll talk about it again, for trying to uh, shoot on Earthquake later this year at the Japanese show that we referenced a minute ago. Um, so when, when when they go, when WWF, WWF at the time goes to Japan, they match these two guys up, uh, probably because uh, John Tenta was, was a pretty successful sumo and had some real name recognition in that sport. And since Katow is kind of the man over there for that, uh, this is a natural fit. But then in the match, he kind of goes in business for himself. It's on YouTube if you'd like to see it. Do you have any memories of that? Because I don't know when we'll ever talk about that again.
3: No, I just remember when it happened. And, and Were you, you at know, that show? Nope. But uh, Earthquake was, John Tenta was a big sumo name over there. Katow was a young sumo, had been a big name. And it was, there was young versus new. And Katow. You mean young versus old? Or new versus. Young versus, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, young versus old. Um, but Tenta wasn't that old. I you mean, know, he looked like it cause he was balding, but, but Tenta still had it. And Katow wanted to, to test the old timer and Katow's the one that left the ring. And,
2: and, and when he, and when he rolls out of the ring after shooting on him, he picks up a mic and in Japanese says something like wrestling is fake. And is essentially, but he didn't
3: want to get back in there with the fake wrestler. Did never
2: he? got back in there, and never wrestled again. Was of, was essentially blackballed from wrestling after that. So this is his his last WrestleMania too. Yes, it was. WrestleMania continues. We go to match number ten on the card. Number nine on television. The Big Boss Man is going to take on Mister Perfect here for the Intercontinental Title. And this is an interesting match to me because the Big Boss Man. Looks better than ever for this one. Um, both guys did. Yeah. Really an entertaining match. Do you have any, uh, any memories of this one?
3: It was just a great match. You know, it'd been built up with Bobby Heenan insulting the big boss man's mom. And we shot some very entertaining vignettes about Mrs. Boss, man. She was good sport and culminating, you know, culminating here perfect intercontinental champion it was bringing andre back out to kind of avenge breaking up with heenan and anointing the big boss man it was a hell of a match it was it was really a great match uh real quick i want to dig into a little bit more about the big
2: boss man he's in phenomenal shape here why didn't he get more of a push uh it seems like he debuted and um Well, you're fired up at it, but I mean, he debuted and and then goes on some, some successful loops with Hogan on house shows, even some cage matches. And then he does some tag stuff with Akeem, but he gets himself in great shape here. He's super over. He doesn't get the win and he's programmed with the Mountie at SummerSlam.
3: What would have been the harm in giving him a a title run? A push. Jesus, that's a hell of a push. You come in, you work with the top guy, Hogan hell of a push You're you're, you're put right on top with, yeah no with I, the I, top guy then then from there you know you go on and you form a tag team and you work with the two top guys Hogan and savage <laughs> you go around bossman had a hell of a run great push I, but you my can't point you can't just push push everybody all at the same time the spotlight is only so big so you know bossman had a hell of a run. He he comes out of here with a victory. He didn't win the title, but he came out with a victory. He came out on top. He comes out with Andre anointing him and raising his hand. It's, it's not always about, well, he didn't have the belt. Well, I'm just saying that because during
2: this run, what the belt is a prop. Are you serious right now?
3: I'm sorry. Do you want me to say the belt is magic?
2: Well, a few minutes ago, when I said Jake had a white contact in, you got half hot about it, and now you're referring to the Intercontinental Championship title belt. is <laughs> a ma- prop. Made by Reggie Parks. That's a prop. It's a prop.
3: Yes. Believe it or not, they're a prop. I don't know what to say to you anymore. Sure you do. You'll think of something.
2: Andre the Giant comes out in this match. Uh, this is the first WrestleMania or he wasn't advertised uh, that I can recall. Um, I, I assume he had been having some injury situations in his life. Uh, this is the last WrestleMania appearance for him, and uh, I'm curious, you know, if he would have been able to work. Did you guys have a plan for what the match would have been?
3: He did some. Phys- he wasn't a part of it. He, you know. He, you know he, wasn't necessarily a part of it. The storyline was the breakup with Heenan and then going on after WrestleMania to have the managers wooing him. That's all it was.
2: So is his appearance here just to continue the Bobby Heenan storyline? Or is it to just add some added value to the viewer that, Hey, they got to see Andre the giant. Is it to get him a WrestleMania payday? All the above. It was a part of the story. It was all the above.
3: He was a part of the story. And
2: was he able to work here? I guess what I'm getting at is why not give him a match? Even if you put him in a tag match.
3: Again, the story, the story was boss man and perfect. And there was a sub story with Andre and Heenan. And it was a way to make all of them work in without having to give him a match. And he wasn't in the best hell. So I don't know how much of a match he really could have worked.
2: Uh, the next match on the car. Oh, Bobby Heenan uh, is involved in this one. And Mr. Perfect's got his working boots on. If you haven't seen this match in a long time, you should go check it out. It's a pretty decent match. It runs about 10 minutes. But Perfect, man, he is just all over the place with crazy dramatic bumps. I can't help but wonder, what did Vince think of some of these over-the-top current Henning sales? Is this something that would have pissed him off, annoyed him, or would he have found humor in it? Because he's clearly doing it to be funny.
3: Well, no, I mean that that's that was Kurt's way of working, and Kurt was a bump machine. And it just simply you know, as far as Vince's reaction, you have to ask him what he thought of it, but it would probably depend on who it was, the timing and who he was working with.
2: Weird uh thing in this match worth mentioning too, Bossman's working perfect, the referees Joey Murilla on commentary's Lord Alfred Hayes and Gorilla Monsoon, everyone's gone. Is that weird to see? Doesn't feel like that should be the case.
3: Yeah. Sucked. I mean, it, you know, it's just one of those things that, and yeah, it's sad. You know, those guys you travel up and down the road with and, and spend a lot of time with. So yeah, it. it it's, <laughs> I'm getting old.
2: Do you, you have a lot of uh, impressions. Do you do a Big Boss Man? No. Jim Cornette does a Big Boss Man. And let me just say, Jim Cornette's Big Boss Man is identical to your Jim Cornette.
4: God damn.
2: <laughs> it foul, it, oh, a foul.
4: Double cheeseburger, double cheese, extra mayo, extra onion. Get it right or I'm going to kill somebody.
2: It's like it's like a foul mouth to Mickey Mouse. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Match number 11, number 10 on the card uh, that was televised. Earthquake takes on Greg the Hammer Valentine. They don't get very much time at all. They're only in there for about three minutes. What's the point of this match? Get guys on the card. Okay, let's move along. Uh, The Legion of Doom, Hawk and Animal, two of the biggest attractions in the history of wrestling, take on Power and Glory, uh, Hercules and Paul Roma, and uh, the Legion of Doom wins in 59
3: seconds. There you go. Is this a waste? Why got Legion of Doom exposure? Got him out there, got him a win on WrestleMania. Why is that a waste?
2: Well, it just seems like you know. I don't. Would you
3: rather him not be on the on the show? Well, I'm just saying,
2: British Bulldog and Warlord got eight minutes.
3: They were in a program. It was a blow off. This was a way to get Legion of Doom Uh, out there and get him exposure, get him a big win at WrestleMania. Legion
2: of doom supposedly are, um, having some issues with their contract at this time. Does any of that ring a bell? No. Uh, you know, that's rumors and innuendo obviously, but the, uh, the rumor and innuendo is that, uh, they're just not really happy with their spot on the card or their pay or both. And, you know, they're not, they're not early in the show. They're late in the show, but they're 59 seconds in nothing got nothing on that
3: so they go out and they destroy their opponents in 59 seconds and they're upset about that
2: i'm just asking
3: i don't recall them being upset maybe they were maybe they weren't i i don't recall that but i don't know what they'd be upset about being being on the show and the alternative is not being on the show not having 59 seconds not having any seconds and the guy, you know, minute, should they have been second where or wait a minute, no number number two where Texas Tornado was? I'm asking.
2: Well, here's my question. You know, these guys were main event attractions for Crockett and doing and, and did big business down there and were in cage matches last with Dusty and Flair and the horseman and now they're wrestling Paul Roma and Hercules and you're acting like that's okay. So just want to give
3: you a chance to uh,
2: you know, again.
3: It's, it's like, well, everybody should be in the main event. There's one main event.
2: I'm not arguing that he should be in the main there, event. Here's what I'm saying. In this
3: case, there were two
2: main events. I'm not arguing any of that. Was 15 this matches? What's
3: wrong with demolition LOD here? They'd already had demolition LOD. The not program was over. Okay. But they, they had already had a program. They'd already gone through demolition. Why They'd would, already worked with them.
2: Why wouldn't you have saved it for WrestleMania and made it a bigger deal?
3: Oh. <sighs> Again, you can't save everything for WrestleMania. you got to have attractions other times during the year. So it's not all, well, every match should have been the main event of WrestleMania. It doesn't work that way. You've got you to tell stories. You've got to draw houses during the rest of the year, too. So there was a story. They had their run with Demolition. It, it's, it goes back to the old, well, why didn't they do Flair and Hogan?
2: Do you think if you guys built a card worth of shit, you wouldn't have had to move it from the Coliseum to the arena? We'll come back to that. Uh, let's go to match number 12. That was televised Virgil with Roddy Piper. How's that for a pairing, uh, defeated Ted DiBiase by count out. I don't remember seeing a uh, WrestleMania win by count out. I'm sure it's happened, but none come to mind right run off the top of my head. Um, this is a big angle. You guys did a really, really good job building this one, I thought. Uh no music for Virgil because Piper managed him. Uh I'm not exactly sure why Piper was here except to build the angle right after. Uh there you go. Ding the, ding
4: ding 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 ding.
2: It just seems hodgepodge, but you know, whatever. Uh count out win for Virgil as Ted attacks Piper. Sherry then attacks uh Piper. And sides with Ted, and then they beat on Piper's hurt leg. He came out with a brace on and limping. Uh, and then, of course, Virgil pleads with Piper to get up on the hurt leg and carries him out. Um, is this Virgil's highlight of his career? Is this like the pinnacle? Or probably Virgil? so. Yeah.
3: Yeah, probably so. That was about as high as Virgil was going to get. Do you
2: remember what type of fuck money he got for this? I don't. Do you reckon that afterwards he celebrated at the Olive Garden? I would imagine so.
3: Do yeah. they even have Olive Garden then?
2: Oh yeah. That's Alan breath that That's been the shit for a long time. Okay. Uh, meat sauce, baby. Okay. Uh, the locker room sets were all over for the backstage interviews. And I've always been fascinated by these. It was kind of a staple at the time. These famous, uh, locker room backgrounds. Uh, there's a, a payphone, and, uh, I think there's a couple of different sets here. And you've told me before that you maybe had a hand in that. Can you kind of lay out what that is or or did just every locker room you guys had in the 80s and 90s look identical
3: yeah that was a hell of a coincidence it (laughs) really was no we had basically your heel locker room set and your baby face locker room set one was pink one was blue
2: oh i didn't notice that i'm colorblind
3: yeah so i didn't notice that
2: so it wasn't like, uh, pink was, was pink for the girls No, or pink, pink was, was for the for heels.
4: Pinks for heels. Okay. Baby oh. faces are blue.
2: <laughs> well, you know,
4: Conrad,
2: uh, now let's get into, um, the Mounty and Tito Santana. These guys had a barn burner of a match for about a minute. Um, Whose idea was the Mountie? I'm pretty excited about the Mountie character, and I realize I'm probably in the minority, but I the really... The Mountie was great. I enjoyed the Mountie. Uh, do you remember who came up with the gimmick?
3: He was w- great at it. Well, we had a box, and it's at prowrestlingtees.com forward slash Bruce Pritchard box of gimmicks, and we reached in and pulled out, and there was a Mountie hat in there. Um, Jacques' brother, Raymond... Had I don't want to say retired, but he he basically semi-retired and was doing commentary for us, color commentary for us in Montreal. And Raymond had other businesses, and um, Raymond, another wonderful guy, that uh, it was an opportunity Jacques going out on his own and and give him new life and a new character, and came up with the Mountie and and look at you know how. Americans view foreigners, which we'll be getting into next. Um, and no matter where they were, but it was a way to, it had a lot of heat in Canada, it had a lot of heat everywhere, but it had a lot of heat in Canada because the Royal Canadian Mounted police felt that we were making light of the Mounties. Right. And Jacques had a lot of heat with that, but it was just, you know, a gimmick. No different than the big boss man, and he did a
2: phenomenal job with it. Oh, he was great. Is the theme of this pay per view, you know, card quantity over quality? I'm not saying that to be a well. Hindsight
3: being 2020, yeah. I mean, there's just so many short matches and so many guys and so many matches. It and feels you, you forget about it, and and I, I'm I'm exhausted just talking talking about, talking it. about it. Well, let's um, we're gonna get because to this. As, as you get into. The cell of this card were two matches. Yeah. Warrior and Savage, Hogan and Slaughter. Right. Well, and Jake and Martell. Come on. Blindfold match was awesome. That's true. It was awesome. Perfect and was awesome.
2: All right. Let's, uh, let's talk about it. There's some, there were some, uh, celebrities who were here, but there were some celebrities who backed out or so the rumors and innuendo would have you to believe The two empty seats we talked about earlier in the front were Donald Trump. Donald Trump was there because Marla Maples was there. And, uh, I mean, roll tight on that, right? Yeah, they were dating. Yeah. So, uh, Trump's there. Chuck Norris is there. He's interviewed on camera. Uh, Lou Ferrigno, Henry Winkler, uh, Alex Trebek replaces Bob Costas or so we have been led to believe Bob Costas had some sort of quote that said, It wouldn't be in the best taste or something like that and pulled out. Uh, He had been and and was later a WWF proponent, but seemingly backs out here because of the perceived controversy of the Iraq war. Uh, Rumors and innuendo would also lead you to believe that Roseanne Barr and Tom Arnold, who are a pretty big deal around this time, are supposedly supposed to be there and being in Los Angeles. That makes sense, Uh, but they back out too. Do you remember what their plans would have been for them at WrestleMania? Was it just to say hi and bye, or would Roseanne have done something?
3: No, it was. She was pretty was strictly hard No, it was strictly to be like guest ring announcers and stuff like that, guest interviewer, things like that. I do remember Costas. I don't remember in that particular instance, uh, Roseanne and and Tom Arnold. Um, I do, but I don't. You right. know what I mean? Right, right, but right. But it, it was. Simply, they would have been, you know, guest timekeeper. No different than what Trebek and Regis and Marla did. So, um, celebrities on the fringe. Let's talk about
2: the Iraq stuff. This wasn't the original plan for WrestleMania 7. So, (laughs) talk to me a little bit about um, where this idea first comes from. You know it's WrestleMania, so you know Hulk Hogan's figured in big. But you revealed it before, what the original idea was. And I don't think that we've really expounded on that here on your show. Kind of lay that out for everybody.
3: Well, the original, original
2: idea was... Let's set the backstory. It's summer 1990. Uh, Earthquake attacks Hulk Hogan, gives Hogan some time off TV. He's going to go film Suburban Commando, I think. Is that right? I think that was the one, yeah. So he films Suburban Commando which actually comes out a couple months after wrestlemania seven so that timeline lines up and uh he does the uh the chest finish the the sit down gimmick on uh hogan and then hogan's out and he's off tv and his uh there's a new character tugboat is introduced and he is hogan's pal and he's going to try to come to the rescue and help him and um they're doing these bracelets and you can get one of these bracelets. If you'll just write in and blah, blah, blah. And you're supporting your Hulkster. And they're showing all these letters that are coming in. You guys are doing a, an address capture campaign, which is pretty amazing. People do it with email and text message numbers now, but back then snail mail was the deal. And, uh, got to build that mailing list. And so it builds to SummerSlam 1990, which is earthquake versus Hulk Hogan, um, in Philadelphia, and the seeds are starting to be planted. What was the original plan for WrestleMania Seven?
3: The original plan was we had uh Sarge coming back and and we had Adnan uh Adnan al KC and there were there was turmoil in the Middle East with Iraq and what have you, and Iraq being invaded, and, um, or I'm sorry, Kuwait being invaded by Iraq. And the idea was that Hulk Hogan's good new best friend, Tugboat, would turn his back on America and the Hulkster and adopt the ways of the Middle East and be chic. Tugboat. Against the All-American, the Real American, Hawk Hogan. How would
2: Slaughter have been figured into that?
3: Well, Sarge was going to kind of be, you know, peripheral <laughs> character at the time. There was the idea to do Chic Tugboat was before. Sarge came in. Sarge came back right before SummerSlam, I believe. We did the Great American uh, Sergeant Slaughter Award. So this idea was even before that. So we'd taken Hogan out after WrestleMania sometime and then you know Hogan was coming back at at SummerSlam, but in the meantime the idea was that it would be tugboat that would be the one to lead that charge and tugboat be his friend and the tugboat would be the one that would eventually turn along the way. Sarge comes back fresh off his GI Joe deal. Yep. And Sarge comes back and it's like, well, what if the real American hero, GI Joe, Sergeant Slaughter turned his back on America? In the real American Hulk Hogan. So thank God for Sergeant Slaughter, uh, coming back when he did and stepping into that role. But the buildup was one of Sarge being an Iraqi sympathizer and. Well, wait, hang on. Why would, why would Vince have picked tugboat? Because he was a big, huge guy and humongous arms and big pythons if you will and they just saw a monster a monster yeah and it is a big monster for for hogan to destroy when Uh it came time big guy to beat so like to like to create monsters for the holster so an audible is called at this point
2: uh, and for, um, whatever reason, well, thank t- God we hadn't got into the turn, <laughs> but y'all had already started to like do some teases. Well, right? we, had
3: do- we had done the teases with, you know, tugboat being the one to, to bring Hulk back and everything, man, tugboat and Hogan teams at survivor series. We were kind of already that, that ship had sailed, so to speak, but, uh, Sarge coming in when he did and being that Iraqi sympathizer, it was just topical. It was what what had been done in the business for eons. You know, you, you take the, the foreign menace, you know, we were at war with Germany. And after the war in Germany, the heels were all Germans. And after the war in Japan, all the heels were Japanese and threw salt. Well, we hadn't gone to war yet. But you had a hell of a heel over in Iraq by the name of Saddam Hussein that everybody hated and was on the news every week. So why not have an Iraqi sympathizer? And and what's worse than having an Iraqi in General Adnan, but to have an American, a G.I. Joe that represented everything that was right in America, an American hero in Sergeant Slaughter, turn his back on his own country. And that was the thought process. And and to go to mania, the real American versus the American turncoat. And this was obviously before, um, things escalated in the Middle East.
2: Well, but you were still kind of building this pay-per-view around
3: a real life conflict. Always did. They always build things around real life conflicts. World war two was a real life conflict. Well, hang on, hang on. You said, they right there. This is you. This isn't me personally. Oh, you personally were there. Yeah, I was personally there and yeah, I was behind it and I, I definitely did support it and it's, it's what they had done. The, the Hollywood (laughs) wrestling historically took foreigners and, and made them heels and bad guys. And you propped up your American heroes, and and that's exactly what we were doing. And before that, you know, before we even necessarily, you know, before we even had conflict in Iraq, we had booked because the Los Angeles Coliseum had approached us about coming in and holding the event in the Los Angeles Coliseum, which held over 100,000 people. And we went out there. We flew out there. They had a huge presentation. They set a ring up on the 50-yard line. And they had the big screens up. They had put seats on the field around it and had did a big cameras cell. out. Oh, they had a huge cell. I mean, they had, you know, WrestleMania 7 up on the scoreboard. And they had video. So that when we walked in, we were up on the big screen and stuff. They had this beautiful luncheon for us. And that was god i want to say it was right after or right before well it was right before wrestlemania 6 and cuz we had been in, we had done 6 in toronto and this was going to be bigger than 6 right so we had been out there and done the tour and made the decision okay we'll do this and and then as time went on it was like well Take Hulk's best friend, Tugboat, and, you know, do the turn and triumphant return of the Hulkster. WrestleMania uh, six ran a
2: promo for tickets being on sale at the Coliseum. And if you go back and watch it on the network, that promo has been erased. It is not there. Uh, Before we get into what happened there, did you guys think that this Iraqi concept would draw a hundred thousand people
3: well first of all there was no iraqi concept when we booked the coliseum so what did you what would you think a year out well you're sitting there trying to figure that out you know it's going to be hulk and i think in vince's mind he had this tugboat thing and then his iraqi thing started going on well what if we made him an anti-american so it wasn't (laughs) <laughs> so it was in, in March or, or yeah, February yeah, yeah, of, yeah. of the year before that we go, we're going to go to war with Iraq. We're going to have an Iraqi sympathizer. Um, okay. So the plan to sell a hundred thousand seats was tugboat and Hulk Hogan. Yeah.
2: Uh, that one didn't work. No. Um, was WrestleMania Six a disappointment? Do you think some of the slide, some of the decline, starts with WrestleMania Six, based on it being babyface, babyface, and it not having? I don't think the
3: event was a disappointment at all.
2: You don't think? I mean, I'm just asking. was it were buys down for that? It was reported
3: that buys it was were down. Buys, for that. Well, buys were down from WrestleMania Five, yeah, but I don't think it was a disappointment. So it was less about Warrior Hogan
2: and more about how or how bad it was, and more about how great wrestlemania 5 was with
3: macho and and was. i just think that the baby face attraction didn't work as well maybe didn't work well obviously it didn't work as well as the other one but that's hindsight so yeah so
2: you then you come back and you're planning to do tugboat and along
3: the way yeah and along the way sarge comes available um tensions heat up you got does sarge call uh, y'all or do you call sarge do you call sarge called us and he's
2: fresh off the the yeah. uh, the GI Joe thing. That was cool. a big deal.
3: Yep, and Sarge was looking, and he and Vince had had a falling out before. But Sarge called, and uh, I do you remember, remember what that falling out was about. It was about the GI Joe contract, I believe. He didn't want him to do it. Vince didn't want him to do it. No, and Vince wanted to have a piece of it. And oh, Sarge, I see. you know, went off and did his own thing. I say. So Sarge is arguably as big, if not bigger, than Hogan at sure. that time. Absolutely. So you know, it was it was disagreement. Shit happens all the time, but it was opportunity for him to come back. He came back. He was red hot. I mean, he was red hot. Did
2: he want to be a heel or did Jobs... he love the, oh, he loved the idea. Really? Oh yeah. Whose idea was it to, uh, do you remember it like sitting around the pool? And who again, that, that a idea? lot
3: of that was that part of it was lot Pat and Vince at that time. And I was doing TV. So I was in after the fact and you know, he told me something about television. Yeah, uh, and
2: one of the, th- one of the most iconic things here is I guess you guys soaked a Hulkamania t-shirt and lighter fluid and then had Sarge,
3: well, that was down the way,
2: light it. Um,
3: that, that was closer to the, that was closer to the match itself. Was there
2: uh discussion about anything else there?
3: Yeah, there sure was, but I mean, you know, get, you gotta, before we get to that, and I know where where you want to go with that, but getting to that point. We had Sarge, we had Adnan, and this this surge from underneath and the, the animosity towards Sergeant Slaughter and, and Adnan was growing. And he but, but Let's talk about Adnan for
2: a minute. We've just kind of glossed over him. Tell everybody who Adnan really is. I don't think a lot of people, I mean, he just kind of appears out of nowhere. and He's in WWF programming, but he has an interesting backstory.
3: Yeah, he's Adnan LKC. That's his real name. And he's from Iraq. He grew up with Saddam Hussein. Wow. And they were childhood, you know, neighbors, friends, what have you, went to school together. And so he was a legit Iraqi, legit new Saddam Hussein. And, you know, it wrote itself in a lot of respects. And in our lifetime, we had never, I didn't. You didn't. We'd never experienced war. We experienced the Vietnam War, but we had not declared war on Vietnam.
2: I didn't. I'm not as we old had, as you. Shut up.
3: Okay, I'm sorry. I forgot. Okay, I did. But we had never declared war on a country right? at that point for me in my lifetime. I read about it. Um, I was alive during the Vietnam War. So the thought of going to war... Was unprecedented. We never dreamed in a million years. We'd actually go to war. Thought, well, there's a skirmish. There's a dispute. This guy's an asshole over here in Iraq. Well, let's have an Iraqi sympathizer. It's a heel. It's what we've done for years. Well, and, and we, we went with it and it was, it was getting over. People were booing the shit out of him and it was building and we had a red hot, honest to God, red, hot, white, hot heel and Sergeant Slaughter nodding none So you got a white hot heel. You got a white hot baby face in Hogan. The two shall collide. What happens if along the way that red hot heel takes the most coveted prize being the WWF championship?
2: So you, um, you don't think that this was in poor taste? It wasn't in poor taste when it started. No, it wasn't. Not at all. Even though not hearing them. Go ahead. Even though not here in America, but over there, people were losing their lives. It wasn't in poor taste.
3: What do you mean, people were losing their lives? People in people in Iraq and Kuwait. That Iraq was when Iraq was invading Kuwait. Right. Well, they hadn't really done that all yet. It was a skirmish. There was skirmishes uh, involved. So, death. so what? So what you're saying is it's in poor taste to ever portray something that is controversial? Well, hey, let's
2: run through it. Do you see people rioting on WWE TV now?
3: I'm saying at the time. I'm saying at yeah, the time Yeah, I'm saying at the time. To- no, we're not talking about now. We're talking about at the time. And at the time, if people were rioting and doing like they are now, yeah, they probably would have exploited that.
2: And would it have been right to do so? I don't know if it would have been. It
3: was what it was. I'm asking- it's entertainment. In the In the name of entertainment, you take what is hot. You take what is in the culture at the time and you exploit it. Is it right for Hollywood to do movies about it? Is that right? We're no different than Hollywood. It was make believe. Sergeant Slaughter wasn't a real Iraqi sympathizer, so is it poor? Is it in poor taste for Hollywood to go out and do a movie about a real life sniper who was killing people in the Gulf War? Is that right?
2: Well, that's a documentary. No, it wasn't a documentary.
3: It was an entertainment movie starring, what's what the hell's his name from The Hangover? It was an entertainment movie. Well, that's all it was. Yeah. It was for entertainment purposes. This was for entertainment purposes. So if, if what you're saying that's in poor taste and Hollywood's in poor taste, television is in poor taste, entertainment is in poor taste. We were simply mirroring society. And what was going on at the time and exploiting that no different than what other people did. Was
2: American Sniper aimed at children and did they sell dolls?
3: Yeah. As a matter of fact, it's aimed towards people. And yes, it's entertainment. And if it's in poor taste to do entertainment based on real life things, then it was in poor taste. But when you're in the moment and you do what you've always done and you can look back 20 years ago, well, I was really in poor taste because people were getting killed. Hey, people here, are getting killed here, every day. Here's what I don't understand. Why are you defending this so hard when Bob Costas, because, am I allowed well, to speak? I don't care about Bob Costas. Well, Roseanne, I'm defending it hard. USO. Roseanne Barr is a standard bearer now for good
2: taste. No, I'm just saying people are backing out here and – and, and and America was
3: turned off a little bit. Because, but you're talking about things, and again, we're not even there yet. You're talking about things that, that took place after the United States of America declared war on Iraq. Yeah, you guys so still had the fucking Yeah, we did. Yeah.
4: They you,
2: still had a Super Bowl. They didn't have fake Iraqis in the Super Bowl. Where the fuck are you going with this? Well, I'm going with, I don't understand why nobody pulled the plug So we should have the canceled the event.
3: Let me ask you cancel- this. Well, hang on. I'm asking you a question. Should we have canceled the event? You shouldn't have went with... Should Sorry. we have canceled the event? Should have canceled that match. Okay. So we should just scrap everything we did and cancel the match. Yeah, I was in poor taste. Okay. So every time that something in poor taste happened, we should, ju- we should have just canceled everything.
2: Well, yeah. Okay. I'm glad we had this talk. Okay. Do you remember um, any of the office speaking up or taking issue with this angle, or was everybody as fucking
3: brainwashed and drinking the Kool-Aid as you were? Well, I'm not brainwashed and drinking the Kool-Aid. You weren't there. People weren't there making decisions, and you're making decisions, and yeah, it affects a lot of people's lives and their livelihoods. And yes, lives were. But again, when you're talking in August, before war breaks out, and you're looking at things and you're going, well, this is this is how we've always done it, and this is what's hot, and it's no different than what everybody else does. What, what Archie Bunker did on All in the Family, a comedy show, that
2: they didn't sell tickets to Archie Bunker.
3: They sold advertising to Archie Bunker.
2: Yeah, I understand. This so, is a, this so is a different time. You're talking. Archie Bunker wasn't on the air in '91.
3: Of course, it's a different time than where we are now, yeah. and. The fact of the matter is, is that you simply had a situation where you're going into it and the whole situation changes. Everything changes. But
2: WWF doesn't.
3: They stay the course. No, we changed a lot. What did you change? We didn't burn a flag that was suggested by Jesse Ventura that we do because it became legal. This is around the same time
2: Jesse Ventura becomes mayor, by the way, and his suggestion... Yeah, he was he was made mayor earlier in this same year, uh, Brooklyn Park, New uh, Brooklyn Park, Minnesota. Helped Jesse
3: had it. left by then when he became mayor, didn't he? Yeah, he's not yeah. here then. Yeah, but he was he was the one that suggested when the American flag became when it became legal to, to burn the American flag that we burn an American flag, and because you just, it was legal, and, decided. and out of good taste, we didn't. So instead,
2: the pitch was pitch was what.
3: Not to burn an American flag, but instead... Well, later on, when we got got to the point right before the match, instead of burning an American flag, we burned the symbol of America, a Hulk Hogan t-shirt. Soaked it in lighter fluid, I hope, because I wore that around school. Actually, actually, no, not lighter fluid. We soaked it in sterno.
2: I didn't know what that is.
3: Of course you don't. You ignorant hillbilly southerner. Well, I do mortgages. I don't sterno have a... Sterno is the, the little fire things that they put under... Oh,
2: yeah, yeah, yeah. Catering and stuff, yeah. I got you. Sterno
3: on it. Yeah. Well, I just knew
2: it as the little fire thing under the catering thing. That's called Sterno. Okay, good to know. Um, (laughs) This is just going to get you fucking fired up. Meltzer says the
3: Iraqi embassy wanted the WWE. We're going to ban that word. From now on, folks, whenever you hear a beep, it'll be because of the word that he just
2: said. Okay. Beep. Says the Iraqi embassy wanted the WWF to stop using the name Saddam Hussein to associate with Sergeant Slaughter. Do you remember that request coming in? No. But I don't doubt it came in. Where was she, I don't remember. I mean, yeah, I don't remember that. Where was Sheiky Baby during all this? Seems like a perfect opportunity for him. He came in. After the fact. Um, but I mean, during this build it's I mean well, he was in WrestleMania. Like what what's up with that?
3: He's available. Again, just because, because we had been during Jimmy Carter's at odds with Iran, he was Iranian, so historically in the business the foreigners were the heels. Iran and Iraq are right next door neighbors. They were both both viewed as heels. But he so wasn't. He, but was he brought was, in. But he wasn't involved here. That's what I'm saying. Why, why wouldn't? Why sure would he was. He... That's when he came in. Right after WrestleMania, he was there. That's that why. night. Why wasn't he there at WrestleMania though? He was there at WrestleMania. He was. He was there that night. We shot stuff with him after the event.
2: That was a springboard for him. um, Beep wrote that the WWF wanted to send Hogan to visit the troops, but the USO turned it down. And then a week later, the WWF responded to a newspaper report, the National, and said the USO wanted Hogan, but the Defense Department nixed the trip and Meltzer
3: admitted he got it wrong.
2: What really happened? Around this time, you're getting
3: getting into now the whole situation, why we changed from the Coliseum to the arena. And the USO did want Hogan. And they did want us to come and do it. There was a lot. After Royal Rumble, the night of the Royal Rumble, I believe it was January 19th, 91, uh, is when we declared war. That night, during the Rumble itself, George Bush gets in during the rumble and declares war on Iraq. Right about the time Sergeant Slaughter is winning the WWF championship. So. All we're in it, right? We're in it, right? And it's kind of hard to just say, okay, let's just change plans right now. We're in it. And we don't know how long this war is going to last. We don't know what all the hell's going on. And. The entire country changes. They're talking about canceling the Super Bowl. They're talking about just how in the hell are we going to have any public assemblies? We were getting, contrary to popular beliefs, as uh, I got all over my Twitter about, you didn't really have bomb threats. Yeah, we did. We had bomb threats pretty much every night where Sergeant Slaughter appeared for live events. We had bomb threats in the buildings. Sergeant Slaughter had to travel with a bodyguard. He wore a bulletproof vest to the ring every night. That's how serious, that's how real it was. People were coming to Sergeant Slaughter's house and threatening his family. That's real life. That's what we did. And Sarge was so committed to, again, the character and the entertainment, you know, he continued to play that role and play that character. And Is, is, you know, we're in it, (laughs) you know, we're there, but when we were getting closer to it, we're looking at a stadium with a hundred thousand seats, wondering how the hell are we going to fill it? But then there was a bigger question. How the hell do you secure it? Right. It wasn't a dome stadium. Right. If you've ever been to the LA Coliseum, you know that it's pretty much just open and there's, you know, ticket counters and entrances into the thing that are right next to the stadium. So there's no cage and gate or anything around it to really secure it like there are with stadiums and that you have now. There was no way to secure the thing. We did request, we request with the FBI, Secret Service, the United States government saying, okay, we've got this event. And they're talking about canceling the Super Bowl because we're at war and they're afraid of retaliation and a big event with a lot of Americans in one place. They're saying, well, we can't we can't secure it. So they go ahead, they make the decision, they're going to do the Super Bowl at a cost of millions upon millions of dollars. They come back to us and they say, well, in order to secure that area, this is what it would cost. And they wanted us to pick up that tab. How much was it? It was a lot. It was like shit, millions, millions of millions because you had to build a perimeter. You'd have to build a, a fenced perimeter around the thing that didn't exist. In addition, you would have to do, uh, screening stations, you know, metal detectors and everything else. Plus you got an open air above you. So you've got to secure the skies above the stadium. And it just was completely cost prohibitive. So to all those that say, oh, that's not the real reason you didn't draw. No, we, we had to make a decision, a real life decision. Would it have drawn? Probably not. Probably wouldn't have sold it out or even come remotely close. But we had to make a decision where we had sold more tickets than could fit in the arena. Oh. Okay. And we had to make that decision. To go there because the event had to be in L.A. Probably didn't have to be. We could have changed all that, too. Changed all our advertising and gone somewhere else. We could have, should have, could have, would have all that crap. But we didn't. And we moved into an arena that's 12,000 seats, and we had a lot more tickets than that sold already.
2: 16,158 is the attendance that I see. Okay. Just saying. So hey, look, A couple things. Um, you know, I'm a business nerd. When, when you have to change venues like this because of the extenuating circumstances, um, I assume you guys had already put down a a substantial deposit or there was substantial money already outlaid to the Coliseum. Do you get any of that back or do they understand? Hey, it's a war. Coliseum wanted us. So you didn't pay for that. I don't think so No. Okay. Um, But it does cause a logistical nightmare because you had seating set up and numbered based on what the Coliseum would be. And now these guys have paper tickets. Fans have paper tickets. Yep. And some of those sections don't exist, and they don't have that many rows, and they don't have that many seats. And the sections are numbered differently. Everything's different. Nobody really, I would imagine, knows what the hell's showing up at the ticket turnstiles. No clue. And... What what are you telling ticket takers? Just, hey, if it
3: looks legit, just fucking take it. They they had a plan. I mean, they they had a plan. And there was an exchange plan, I believe, in place. But, you know, going into it, we didn't know. Right. And I want to say we had someplace close where we had uh, close circuit stuff going on um, if we just couldn't fit people in. But it, it it was a nightmare on every, in every avenue. And... Sometimes you just got to suck it up and go for it. We sucked it up and went for it. And everybody can sit back on Monday morning and criticize us, but nobody else was there to make those decisions at that time. And it's real easy to sit back now and say, well, you should have canceled the show. You should have done this. You should have done that. That would have cost probably more money than anything else. Um, Sometimes the show must go on. Give give me an idea of, you guys announced this, I
2: think, in February, that you're going to be changing venues. You go from 105,000 seats to 16,000, and you'd already sold thousands of seats. You know, there's a debate over whether or not you'd sold more than 16,000, whatever. Uh, What number do you think was realistic had you not moved it? Let's assume that there wasn't a
3: security threat. That's impossible. I, I don't know. Okay. Well, just guess. I don't know if you had sold only 100,000, not 105. Okay. Or actually it was scaled to 107,000, but
2: you're six weeks out from the pay-per-view you've sold, you've been selling tickets for a while.
3: You're six weeks out from the
2: pay-per-view you've sold 20,000. Let's just call it 20. It holds 105. What do you think was realistic? We just talked last week about the walk up
3: on Eddie's show. If we didn't, if we didn't, uh, if we didn't go to war, however you want to answer is fine. If we didn't go to war, we probably would have done forty or fifty thousand. And if you did go to war, I don't think that I don't think you would have sold any more tickets. Really, I don't think people people were so paranoid at that time. About, no, that's fair. That's fair about For, going to any public event. People were scared to death to go to the Super Bowl. Forty or fifty thousand is a more realistic answer. Do you, do you have any idea how many how many planes they had? patrolling the air above the super bowl more than one exactly a lot and again the government picked that up they weren't picking it up for us so the nfl didn't pay for that that was you know well we're gonna we're gonna pick this one up and and secure it for the good of the country well the war was over by the time the event happened but you wouldn't have known
2: that in February when you moved it. I get that. Impossible to know. Impossible
3: it's, to know that we were going to war when we booked
2: it. Um, you told me an interesting story about lighting at the Coliseum. <laughs> Can you share that? The
3: world's longest truss. Our lighting director was a gentleman by the name of Ferd Manning. Ferd Manning was a, a great lighting director. But Ler- Ferd lit the I Love Lucy show and worked at Desilu Studios. And... Ferd knew one way of lighting. Hard lighting and you set your lighting and you have big lighting trusses and you have lots of lights on them and you you set them and kind of forget them. Ferd was going to build the world's largest and longest lighting truss. It would have been almost 200 yards in length to run the entire length of the L.A. Coliseum. And I forget, Vince was like, they're building what and abort that, you know, and uh started designing just the stanchions that they still use to this day to go above the ring and not not run a truss from end to end, which is pretty outstanding
2: it's crazy, it is crazy but it's I mean, crazy, What would you have done with it after? Can you imagine that in the warehouse?
3: You long? Can you imagine how long it was going to take? There's a there th- was a kicker. How long it was going to take to set the damn thing up? A week. I mean, God forbid any heavy winds came by or anything else, and then take the damn thing down. Yeah. And then what do you do with it? Yeah. You got enough lighting and enough grid to light ten arenas
2: for forty thousand for forty thousand people. Um, a lot going on around this time, you know, just in general, how much money do you think this venue changed cost Vince when it was all sudden done? All things considered
3: a million dollars, two million dollars? I'd say millions because again, you know, the the state of the country was one of fear. Fear. Yeah. And and a great deal of patriotism, but it was a fear That our generation had never really experienced before. It was that unknown. Do you think that the American public
2: was turned off by this angle? Yes. Wow. I didn't expect you to say that considering you're arguing so hard for it a minute ago. I asked because the February Saturday night main event show drew the worst rating ever for the WWF on NBC. And I would kind of consider this to be the first major sign of a decline in interest.
3: No, I think people were definitely turned off by it. I think that there was a, I think there was a segment that loved it, but obviously the, the segment that had disdain for it, hated it was much bigger. You know, it was a different time. and, And when you're in a bubble, you make decisions in a bubble and you, you don't necessarily in many ways, we didn't, we didn't live in that outside world. We we were living in our world. We were worried about our stuff at that time. Yeah. Get the show, get the match in the ring. Right. And you're thinking about, you know, well, all this other stuff, people are being killed. People are being killed all over the world. Uh, that was cold, hard, just fact. And it's different when all of a sudden... Wait a minute. You know, Jeff down the street, he went to war. Yeah. They they lost their boy. Sure. That becomes a completely different scenario. And, you know, from the Gulf War and, and everything we've done, when, when Americans are losing their lives and it's being reported in the media every day and all of a sudden it hits home, you may not know them but if it's somebody in your neighborhood or a friend of yours it hits home and it hits hard so americans were going through something that they hadn't gone through in a long time at that point since the, since the vietnam war but that wasn't another that but that was you know a crazy war we shouldn't have been in and you know now we're declaring war and we got to we got to kick their ass we're americans
2: so at this time um You know, the actual set and the whole theme is very Stars and Stripes. Hogan's wearing a star star bandana. There's a drawing of Hogan, kind of like on Plymouth Rock, with uh, the cartoon of him with the American flag. Uh, The perimeter of the building on the inside is just covered with the Stars and Stripes. Uh, Savage, not Savage, Duggan comes out in the full Uncle Sam gear just over the top is this to kind of
3: counterbalance it was a theme it was a theme of the world i mean it was a theme of america at the time everywhere you went was red white and blue yeah this is the
2: first time that you started to see the yellow ribbons around the trees sure. and american flags in a big way on front porches and stuff and um, it was a
3: very patriotic
2: time yeah uh the war was actually over though by the time the pay-per-view happened does this seem like Twice as bad of an idea now. I mean, not only now is it maybe in poor taste and maybe you've turned people off, but it doesn't even seem as timely to have an Iraqi sympathizer.
3: Timely's not, no, because I think that still people hated Iraq and hated Hussein and hated, you know, any American turncoat. So to that, in the old way of thinking and being in that bubble, man, it's still okay.
2: It's been reported that this is the second lowest buy rate for a WrestleMania. That wouldn't Um, surprise me. And one of the things that maybe was attributed to it besides the angle and just America, but the price actually went up for this one for six and seven I believe were the first times that it was twenty nine ninety five instead of twenty four ninety five does that ring a bell yeah uh do you think that extra five dollars made a difference or was it just people just weren't into it
3: I think it made a difference you know you you go for the first. In its infancy, it was one price. Price hikes always make a difference. Right. While you may make the same money, if not more, you have less buys, you may still make more money. So that's how it's justified. Hear this out before you shit all over it. Um, you and I are going
2: to fight tonight. <laughs> Gorilla Monsoon, you know, does say, and they drive it home a few times, that this is, you know, the biggest pay-per-view in the history of pay-per-view. Hang on. This? I know. Hang on. Is that Vince trying to get that out there because he feels like the perception maybe that this is going to be a down show and he wants to kind of puff his chest out? This is coming when Mike Tyson is a big box office attraction. Uh, There, there have been really low ratings for their NBC special. Uh, They are taking a little bit of a a hit PR wise because of the
3: angle. Does he want to? Well, it was it was for PR. And it was for PR to go out and send it out to the troops and to, to send it overseas for free and provide it to the uh, Armed Forces Network for free. It's, it's, it's kind of like a make good of sorts. Like, hey, uh, we'll, well, it's not a make good. We've always supported, the, they always supported the troops and did all that stuff. But here was a time when they're in a foreign land, a lot of them still. Sure. That let's do something for them. And they wanted it. So, okay, let's let's go ahead and send it over there to them. And it was something, it was entertainment and give them something to cheer about.
2: If there's no thought that this is going to counteract some ill will, that this is just a nice gesture to kind of counterbalance that.
3: I don't think that it was ever a case of, I don't think any, anything that the WWE has ever done with the military was, well, let's do some goodwill here. I, I truly believe, I know that everything I'd ever done with the military, I know everything Vince has done, John Layfield and those guys that they've done for the military, isn't because, hey, this would be great PR. It's, hey, let's give back to the guys that are risking their lives for our freedoms and for everything here and, and feel very strongly about that.
2: Going back, though, to the original way I tried to talk about it was in regards to trying to not look like, hey, the company has slid, the company's fell off. You know, back, Vince is famous back in the day. You know, the rumors in innuendo would have you to believe, uh, you know, he flies guys up to interview them first class. He picks them up as a limo. He puts them in the finest hotel. He has them big time show tickets. He rolls out the red carpet of sorts to give the perception that this is the big time. Well, if all of a sudden people are hearing ratings are down, buy rates are down, blah, blah, blah. Maybe there's a little bit of, uh-oh, has he taken some shots here? is guerrilla pushing this is the biggest in history to let people know hey we're still a major player because 1990 was a big part of it sure yeah okay that's uh this is something nobody talks about but when you really look at what's going on around it i can't help but wonder are people taking their off the prize a little bit is that one of the reasons that business is dipping you know soon after this suburban commando comes out so hogan's out making movies Vince the the month before had started the WBF. It seems like, you know, wrestling is not nearly the focus that maybe it once was, whether we want to admit that or not. Hogan's making movies, Vince is playing bodybuilder promoter. It seems like there's a little bit too much diversification and maybe one of the reasons business dips and maybe the reason they stay the course with this angle as long as they do and and whatever is because people are doing other things is that a fair assessment yeah i think that's fair uh what was the office's take when in the middle of all of this seeming catastrophe we've got to move from this major coliseum now we're going to a little arena and oh by the way vince is really excited about his new bodybuilding company
3: i don't think people were happy about it in any (laughs) any shape of the yeah People weren't really happy about it, no.
2: And if business is down, I imagine the paydays to the boys are down, and he's paying the bodybuilders guaranteed money, and the wrestlers aren't getting it. Is yeah, that, that fair?
3: didn't that didn't come. I think until like right towards the end of that, when all that got out. Yeah, but you were in the office; you probably knew. Oh uh, yeah, and it, it was it was bitter. It was there was definitely lines drawn. Would
2: you have had had your ass on your shoulders about it? Or would you have just kissed ass business as usual?
3: Well, it was for where I was at the TV studio. I was having to do stuff with the WDBF. So for me, it was business as usual and more stuff to do.
2: Did you think it was the shits?
3: Yeah, I did. Okay. I mean, it would have had to have improved a lot to just be the shits, but (laughs) it was, it was horrible. It was horrible. It, it just was. And it was
2: poor timing. I mean, when business is, is trending down a little bit, and now we're going to look at doing other shit, like, wait a minute, let's pull the nose up and then we can look at doing other stuff.
3: Maybe. Or, like you said just the other day, maybe that's the time that you got to double down and go for it. Yeah. So, Vince is a double down kind of guy. He's, he's going to go for it. There is no right time. You know, a lot of times people will say, you know, well,. I don't know if this is the right time. I don't know if, you know, maybe I, we should talk about this later. Nah, if fuck it. It's the right time. It's time. Just do it. Let's talk about the match.
2: We've talked about everything but the match it so far. Match. There was a match. Uh, Hogan bleeds in the match. And I, is this, this, I don't remember Hogan bleeding a lot during this run. I know he bled at WrestleMania two against King Kong Bundy. Do you remember another time where he got blood in a big time main event on pay-per-view at this point? no i don't uh you know we fans have heard that vince you know wrote a letter to turner and called the practice of getting this blood barbaric and um i'm curious when i see this in a main event here because it was a cool visual i'll give you that would this have been a vince call or would this have been an agent situation where the agents just with hogan it was a vince call um uh, just out of curiosity, who
3: would have been the agents at the time? I have not of the, off the, the agents. Yeah, just Michael Pat Patterson, Jay Strongbow, uh Jim Myers, Tony Garea, Dave Hebner. Um I don't know, I'm probably missing
2: some, but did Hogan have a favorite agent to work with? Um Pat. Everybody loved working with Pat. Uh, after the match, uh, or towards the end of the match, it's not even over yet. Uh, Slaughter brings in the Iraqi flag still on the stick and, um, drapes the Iraqi flag over him. Hogan jumps up, rips the flag up, uh, starts hulking up, goes to the finish and then starts posing. Um, this is what everybody wants to see, I guess. But then Hogan, I thought this was kind of weird. Hogan wipes his bloody sweaty head with the flag and then throws
3: it into the crowd. Could you do that today? I wouldn't. This <laughs> uh, struck me as odd you know but again I, I keep saying different time different place do you think the the decision i mean obviously it was
2: just on schedule and it just worked out this way suburban commando was not this big huge blockbuster hit and it came out not too long after this do you think that the performance of that movie was hindered a little bit by this angle and this situation seriously like is there
3: just? did a, you see the movie yeah so you
4: think the wrestling match well, affected how people viewed that movie? Well, I mean, in terms
2: Come of on. not going to see it at all. It
4: was Okay,
3: not- if three people went and saw that movie, that may have been enough word of mouth to say, maybe not the movie you want to go see.
2: Uh, where, where do you rank Suburban Commando amongst
3: your favorite Hulk Hogan movies? Hmm. Well, No Holds Barred is number one. No Holds Barred is the deal. It's probably number two because Undertaker
2: was in it. Um, they made it for 11 million. It made 8 million. So it drew about as well as WrestleMania Mm seven. Do you think also still making money? Do you think WrestleMania seven was a financial success given all the craziness with it? Maybe not the huge booming success people wanted, but still was, you know, in the black. Yeah, it's probably in the black if not just break even. Um, wasn't too long after this, you took a vacation. You want to touch on that? We're going to save that for another day. Eh, we'll just save that for another day. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter. He's at Bruce Pritchard. I'm at Hey, Hey, it's Conrad. And we'll see you next week on something to wrestle with. Bruce Pritchard.